Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. I want to start uh, by just asking you a simple question. What's your daily routine? What's your daily routine? If you're on social media, you'll notice that there's a lot of people that post their daily facial routine or their morning routine, and journalists often uh, probe the lives of the successful and powerful in this world, and they ask about their daily routine. Why? Well, to try to help get normal uh, life hacks for normal people like us, that maybe if we employ them in our lives, maybe that will change some of the outcomes of our lives. And of course, our habits are important. Author James Clear writes a book uh, called Atomic Habits. Really great book. In it, he says this, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Every action you take, every habit, every part of your routine is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. See, James Clear is saying this. He's saying, your routine, your daily routines reveal your values, but they not just reveal your values, they're actually going to determine the outcomes of your life, what you're becoming in life. Now, I, I love uh, exploring people's daily routines, and if you're on TikTok, there's a trend on TikTok where people uh, pretend to have daily routines that are really better than they really are in front of their family to get a reaction out of them. And I, I just couldn't stop laughing, so I thought I'd share a couple with you. So this is my dad. I wake up every morning at 5 a.m. to go run, and then I come back home, and then I do homework, and then I make breakfast for my dad, my mom, and my brother, and then I wash the dishes and then I clean the whole kitchen and then I go to my room and I clean my room and then I clean my dad's room and my mom's room and then Albert's, my brother's room. And then I make dinner for everyone. When I come, when I go my water, so you're sleeping and then when I'm coming back, you're sleeping too. So. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about my routine. I get up really early every single day. Would you stop? I'm making a video for my followers. I get up really early every day and I start by vacuuming the whole house. It. <laughs> you know, you're really. 
<laughs> that man's laugh is infectious. I, I don't know what your daily routine looks like, and I don't know if you have an exaggerated sense of it that you put towards others, but many of us, I mean, if people saw it, maybe our family might laugh at what our daily routine might be what we wish to project on this world. But daily routines are important. And I, I've been a student of a lot of leaders' daily routines for many years now. I'm always fascinated by how they order their day and what the outcomes that come from it. And most leaders, most significant, successful people in this world, their daily routine always starts with getting up early. Getting up early. You see this over and over. Whenever you're searching daily routines, you notice people getting up early. Uh, some famous people uh, in this world, uh, Oprah Winfrey gets up at 6.20 a.m. every day. 6.20 a.m. I, I love that it's 6.20 a.m., right on the dot. Uh, Elon Musk, of Tesla fame, 7 a.m. Now, he actually goes to bed at 1 a.m., so he's a six-hour guy right there, but he's up at 7 a.m. every day. LeBron James, 8 a.m. Now, he uh, pushes his body uh, as a basketball player at a significant level, and even at his, you know, being older at a significant level. So he's, he's up at 8 a.m. Uh, Richard Branson, 5.45 a.m., that's when he gets up. See, usually there's a, a, a get up early moment in all of these daily routines of successful people, and it's followed by a moment of either exercise, eating, praying, or meditating. It's, all, it's kind of those four things that people talk about often in this. It's putting in the big rock moments in their day that they might forget later in the day, and they get it out of the way early. Significant things that will build them. So there are some really interesting daily routines of people from yesteryear in history that I would not recommend you adopting. In fact, there's, there's three people I'll just mention here. The French philosopher Voltaire, he drank a lot of coffee as part of his daily routine. I'm not talking four to five cups of coffee. He drank daily 40 to 50 cups of coffee a day. His doctors tried to stop him, but he didn't like sleeping and he liked getting th his thinking time in. He's a philosopher. But Voltaire drank 40 to 50 cups of coffee a day. Uh, Ludwig van Beethoven, he, he drank coffee at 6 a.m. every day, but what made him, his habit unique is he counted out 60 beans. Every cup of coffee had to be 60 beans worth of strength. Uh, interesting daily routine that he had. And then this Japanese inventor, Yoshiro Nakamatsu, uh, he invented the karaoke machine <laughs> and the floppy disk, among many thousands of other inventions. One of his daily habits was to go swimming, and it was to go deep into the water to deprive himself of oxygen. Why? Well, in his words, he said this. He claimed that his best ideas came 0.05 seconds before death. So he almost died in water to get a great idea. These are daily habits I don't I recommend you adopt. I mean, Ludwig's might be a little harmless, but I would say not adopting these habits. But we're not going to just explore the habits of some great and successful people in this life. I want to talk about the daily routine of the greatest person that ever lived. We're in the middle series about Jesus. Was Jesus a great man or is he God or is he both? In week one, we learned that Jesus existed. He's always been. There was never a moment that Jesus was not. John chapter one, verse two says this. Jesus existed in the beginning with God. 
In week two of the series, we explored how Jesus created the world. In John chapter one, verse three, it says this, that God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. And then last week, Pastor Keith, our teaching pastor, helped us to see how Jesus is involved in the world today. And he, there was a challenge for us to hold on to Jesus' hand. And it's not the strength, the, the, the strength of our grip, but it's the strength of his grip on our life as we traverse the life that's in front of us. This week, I want to explore the daily routines of Jesus. Not when he walked this earth. I mean, right now. What is he up to right now? I mean, if you could look in his daytimer, and if you don't know what a daytimer is, it's because you're a millennial. But if you could look in his Google calendar, you'd see at the start of his day would be getting up early. Getting up early would be there. Now, the problem would be next to getting up early in Jesus' daytimer or his Google calendar would be no time because Jesus doesn't have a beginning or end to his day. Uh, the psalmist says this about God. He says, he won't let you stumble. Your guardian God won't fall asleep. He won't fall asleep. That's why you and I can do as author Mary Crawley says. She says, every evening I turn my worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. <laughs> I love that. He's going to be up all night anyway because there's no bedtime for him. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. So all those worries you have, all those carries, cares, all those concerns, all those people you're worried about, all those situations you're anxious about, why don't you place them in the hands of Jesus, who's eternally alert? The capable and able hands of Jesus. I have a habit when I put my head on the pillow at night, is I release everything into Jesus' hands. I, I give him this church I give him by name the people that I know and love. I give him everything I'm worried about. Everything that's making me concerned. And I simply say this at the end of that moment. I just say, Jesus, I'm going to sleep now. I can do nothing for these situations. But you're awake. I'd ask that you pick them up and you be working on them while I sleep. See, you place your cares in Jesus' capable hands. Why? Because part of his daily routine is he's available. He's available. His hands are both capable and able. In Psalm 121, what I read earlier, it says that our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth, that he is the God who keeps you. He doesn't doze off binging on Netflix. <laughs> He's not going to miss a moment from you as he scrolls through notifications on a smartphone. Uh, not Jesus. He doesn't need the recommended seven to nine hours sleep to be at his maximum best the next day. He doesn't need that. Jesus is available every minute of every day for the entirety of your life and into eternity. Jesus is always awake for your sake. Man, that's good news, friends. You're going to see that Jesus' daily agenda, his routines, is such good news for you. I hope by the end of our gathering, you want to get in on what Jesus is making available to you. He's always available to you. He's always awake for your sake. So Jesus' day never begins and it never ends. If you could look at his agenda, probably the second item would be this, a daily distribution of mercy and grace. So he's always up, he's always ready to go. And on his agenda is every day to make sure that you get a fresh mercy, 
a fresh distribution of mercy. In the book of Lamentations, it says this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. I love that word never (laughs) because uh, there's no uh, uh, asterisk next to it. It never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Each morning, fresh mercy. Now, the word here for mercy is a Hebrew word that is at the same root uh, uh, as the word womb, a, a woman's womb, as well as compassion. And the idea is this, that you get a compassionate fresh start every morning. You get a compassionate, almost new birth every morning. Jesus is there before you, when you first open your eyes with a fresh distribution of grace, before you shower, before you get out of bed, before you have that first cup of coffee, before you take the dog for a walk, before you fight with your teenager, before you get into it with someone at work, before you have an argument, before the hardship of life comes at you, there is Jesus with a brand new mercy right there in the morning for you. Well, now, what else is Jesus doing? He's not only available to you, which is incredible, 24-7, he is available to you because he's not asleep. He's ready. You can trust him with stuff even while you slumber. Not only is he distributing mercy to you every day, the Bible also says this, that he is interceding for you. Isn't that neat? Part of his daily routine is to make intercession for you. Here's what it says in the book of Romans. Paul writes this. He says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also, say it with me, interceding for us. Picture this. He's making intercession for you. I mean, this is powerful, friends. you imagine... He's at the right hand of the Father, God the Father. And on his lips is your name. Now, I I like to imagine, what do you think he's saying to God the Father? What is he mentioning to him about you? I I always thought it would be something like this, like Jesus kind of leaning over to God the Father and says, listen, good morning, Father. I represent Jonathan Smith. Now, I met my client. My client has had a very bad week. Uh, he's, he has broken three or four of his promises that he made to you, Father. He, he admits that. He, he has broken several of your laws and commands, and he also acknowledges that. He does. He knows it. He's sinned a lot this week. He really has. And I imagine Jesus kind of leaning in and says, I know he deserves uh, a punishment. But Father, Father, can, 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 can we just give him a pass today? I mean, based on our relationship, for my sake, I'm really asking that you give him just another chance. I always imagine it'd be like this. And, and on the back of that, I'll always be thinking like, how many times can Jesus ask the father for that? Because I know Jonathan Smith. He'd have to be talking to him a lot. So how many times can he do this? But Jesus is not interceding to God the father on our behalf based on some emotional or even relational credit. No, not at all. He has a case to make. There's a familiar verse in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And you know, sometimes we, we cruise through this verse, but I, I want to land on a word here to help you understand what Jesus is doing every day for you. He, it says this, John the apostle writes this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, and say this word with me, 
and just. He's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Notice that it does not say that if we confess our sins, God forgives us out of his great mercy. It's not saying that here. And he'll give us another chance because he's merciful. No, it's saying he forgives us because he is both faithful and he is just. He's both faithful and just to forgive us. Now, in other words, to not forgive us would be unjust of God. Where, Where does this come from? The book of Hebrews describes Jesus as being our great high priest, our our brother. And he's sitting next to God the Father. And he's saying, Father, (laughs) I like to imagine, this is actually how the conversation would go. Father, uh, Jonathan has sinned, has sinned. And I know that the law demands that the wages of sin is death. There's punishment to be had here. But Father, I've paid for all of those sins. I've paid for all of them. See my blood. See the scars on my hands. See the wound in my side. I have paid for the penalty of all of Jonathan's sins. So God, Father, it would be unjust if those sins have already been paid for to demand another payment. That would be unjust. So I'm not asking for mercy for Jonathan I'm asking for justice. I'm asking for justice. Friends, this is a game changer in the way you see. In Jesus' daily routines, he's available to you. He's always present. He's always awake for your sake. In Jesus' daily routines, he's greeting you in the morning with this brand new mercy. It's like a a brand new, compassionate, fresh start to every new day. And he is making intercession to the Father on your behalf. He is mentioning you to God the Father. And he's reminding because we all fall short and we are all so imperfect and flawed individuals. But he's saying to the Father, uh, I've got Jonathan covered. I paid that bill. It's beautiful what Jesus does. And I wish I could go through all of his daily routines, but I'm going to land on one last one because uh, of time. And it's simply this, that Jesus daily is preparing a home for you. Look what he says in John chapter 14, the first three verses. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he's saying that to his followers. And he's saying that to you today. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that? I am going to prepare a place for you. When when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus starts by telling his followers to not let their hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? In John chapter 14, near the end of it, he says, not only don't let your hearts be troubled, but he said, don't be afraid. Now, why would Jesus say to his followers, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid? Because trouble is always coming at us in this life, is it not? Trouble is always coming at us in this life. In fact, in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, "Uh, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. 
So because you cannot avoid the troubles that are coming at you, he wants to resource us and resource his followers here with confidence and strength so that the normal troubles of life won't overwhelm us, overthrow us. So what does Jesus give his followers? What does he give us to help us overcome the troubles so we won't become troubled? He says this, I am going to prepare a place for you. Don't you know that I'm going to prepare a place for you? He gives us the knowledge that he has a place for us, that he has a room waiting for us. Jesus says that right now he's preparing a place in his father's house and that there's many rooms in it, but one of those rooms has your name on it. Now, why is home so important? Everyone needs a home. Everyone needs a home. And that is why homelessness is so psychologically devastating to children and adults alike. And I'm not just talking about the the devastation of hunger that people feel and homelessness, or even sometimes the health crisis that can be attached to it. I'm talking about the psychological devastation of homelessness. Uh, A Swiss doctor, Paul Tournier, he talks about and describes what happens to children when they never experience a home where they're completely safe and completely loved. And he says this, that they develop an inability to attach, that there's a restlessness, uh, an inability to settle down and attach to others, and it follows them right into adulthood. Homelessness And not finding a place where you're completely loved and completely safe has devastating complications in our life. We all have this powerful longing for home, but there's nothing on this earth that can completely satisfy our desire for home. Why? Because home is not just a house. It's not just a house. Home is a place where everything fits where you're accepted, where you belong, where you always come as you are, where you can be your truest self. It's a place of deep rest. It's a place of deep well-being and peace. And Jesus is talking to his followers here. And you gotta remember this whole idea of what home is. Those followers he's talking to we're going to be the apostles. And I don't know if you know what that word apostle means. In the Greek, it means sent out. He knew that they were going to never go home again. They were going to be wanderers. That in fact, they, they would be running and trying to outrun danger most of their life. And it would catch all but one of them. And they would, be, they would suffer a terrible death. Some of them be thrown to wild animals. Some of them be sawn in half. You know, the common everyday hardships that people face. The the one disciple that would escape that terrible death would be John, who writes this, who writes uh, from John chapter 14. And he would be exiled in the Isle of Patmos for the rest of his life away from home. What, What can Jesus offer? What can Jesus offer his followers? What can he offer you and I that might feel so troubled this, this weekend or in this moment? We feel so troubled or weighed down. What can he offer us? And Jesus says this to his followers and he says it to us. I'm preparing a place for you. Uh, no, scratch that. I'm preparing a home for you where you'll be accepted. You will be safe. You will be loved. 
I'm building a home for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got that place. That place is heaven. And heaven is a world of love. It's a world of lavishing love. Because we know what makes a home a home. It's love. Love makes a home a home. So in essence, Jesus is saying to his followers, the worst thing, the worst thing that can happen to you on this earth is actually the best thing, is actually the best thing. In other words, when we die, we think we're moving from light into darkness. And he's saying, no, 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 you're moving from a dark world into a place of light and love, into a place of light and love. The Welsh poet George Herbert said this, death used to be an executioner but the gospel makes him just a gardener. What does a gardener do? Because of the gospel, a gardener plants a seed into the dirt. (laughs) And from the dirt comes a flower, uh, comes fruit, comes a majestic tree. Something incredible, beautiful, and gorgeous comes from this place of darkness. And because the gospel has done this work, now... All death can do to the Christian is make you infinitely greater than you are now. All death can do to a Christian is make them infinitely greater than they are now. As a pastor, I've been with people near death more times than I care to remember. It's a privilege, but it's also a weight. I've noticed something that even whether they believe in an afterlife or they don't believe in an afterlife, there's an anxiety when you face death, when you're staring at it. There's inevitably a feeling of regret. I've I've listened to people. Regret that maybe they should have done more in this life. I've I've heard regrets about, about maybe they didn't do enough good in this life and will that affect the next life to come? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that death is our enemy. Genesis chapter 3 reminds us that you and I were not built for death. Death kind of squeaked in, slipped in into God's creation through the cracks of our own sinfulness. Death was never a part of God's plan in this earth. And because of that, death is our enemy and we were not, known, we were not made for death. So it's natural when you face death, you're going to feel anxiety. It's natural you're going to feel that weight. So how can Jesus say to his squad and say to us, don't let your hearts be troubled? There's a lot of hard things in this world. Because when you go through the dark door of death, you come into a world of light and love. Light and love. Friends, what makes any place great? What makes any room or any gathering or any group of people great? It's love. Forget about the harps and the streets of gold. Forget about them. Forget about the thrones and the mansions. You can see some of these things in the world today as it is. Forget about those things. Heaven is a place that so far exceeds everything you could think of. Heaven is a place where you will feel imaginable, unimaginable joy, where you'll feel perfect love. Heaven is a home where you will be embraced fully by God. The reward of heaven is not mansions and harps, it's Jesus. I will be there 
and you will be with me. For the Christian, we can posture ourselves like the Apostle Paul. When he said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I, I love how Paul's saying this. The Christian can taunt death. Paul is not just peaceful in the face of death. He makes fun of death. I mean, death comes at the Christian, and death says this, I'm going to get you. But the Christian says to death, I do your worst. You will only make me better. You'll only make me better than I was before. Friends, do you have that type of confidence down in your heart? Or are you troubled? When Jesus said to his followers, I'm going to prepare a place for you, where was he going? He was going to the cross. He was saying, I'm going to pass through death for you. And death doesn't know what's coming at it right now because I'm going to kick down that door permanently. See, Jesus went to secure for you a place, a home. And why did Jesus have to die to do that? Well, three words, Adam and Eve. You remember our first ancestors? when they choose to turn their back on God and they want it to be their own master and their own savior, what was the penalty for what they did? What was the penalty or the punishment for what they did in breaking God's creation? Homelessness. They had to leave the garden. You see, the wages of sin is homelessness and loneliness in life. And that's what Jesus took for you and I. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, he would say this, foxes have dens to live and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. Jesus was a wanderer, friends. He was a wanderer. And when he died, they crucified him outside the gates of the city, outside of his home. And when he was dying, was he embraced by the father? No. He, instead, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took the homelessness we deserved and the loneliness we deserved so that we could have a home and we could belong. I mean, it's great news, friends. He took it on the chin so we could pass through. There's a story, I, I've heard uh, Tim Keller share it before, but a pastor, a true story, a pastor in Philadelphia whose wife had died and He's in a car going to bury his wife with his young children with him. And he was trying to explain death to them. And that's a complicated thing to explain to children. And while he was explaining it, a truck went by their car and a shadow was cast over the car. And he said to his son, he said, son, would you rather be hit by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? And his son said, I'd rather be hit by the shadow of the truck and he says, that, that's what I mean, son. Jesus was hit by the truck so that your mom would only be hit by the shadow of the truck. It hurts us, but she now is home. And that's what makes heaven heaven. Jesus is there. The more you get to know him here, the more you long to see him face to face. Friends, I hope, if anything, from Jesus' daily routines in this life, I hope that you know you're loved. 
I hope you know that this God of yours who never sleeps or slumbers, who's always ready, that you can entrust your greatest cares and and concerns into his able and capable hands every day. He's available to you. I hope you know that this, this God, this person, Jesus, who daily distributes mercy to you, giving you this fresh, compassionate start to every new day. I hope you know that this Jesus This Jesus who makes intercession for you, who now because he paid for all of our brokenness and all of our sinfulness, now we have a case. (laughs) He's our advocate before the Father, reminding him, Father, Father, Father. I paid for, I paid for their brokenness. It's on me. I'm demanding justice for them now. I hope you feel loved when you know that Jesus didn't exit this world out of convenience, but he took on the full weight of death and evil and sin so he could make a way to prepare a home where we would be all accepted and cherished and loved. So I want to pray with you in this moment, if you'd allow me to, and I wonder how many of you want to uh, get in on Jesus. <laughs> I wonder how many of you want to experience his love and his grace and his presence daily in your life today. Uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you, you echo in in this prayer moment as we kind of renew renew our faith in him, but also to our, our reverence of him, uh, our love for him. I, join me in this prayer. Jesus, we come to you today and we give thanks for your daily routine. We, we give thanks for what you're up to right now 
in this world and uh, even in eternity, God. We recognize today that you are eternal, you are capable, you bear our burdens, you love us, you cherish us, you intercede for us, you, you distribute mercy towards us, God. And so, God, we come to you, and I just invite those of you who might want to follow Jesus, pray along with me here. I come to you and I ask for your forgiveness. Just as we read tonight, that if I confess my sin, my, my, my brokenness, my wandering, you'd be faithful and just to forgive me of all my unrighteousness and cleanse me from it. So God, I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I ask you to make intercession for me. And today in this moment, I place my life into your hands, your capable, able, eternally alert hands. I place my future in your hands. I place my relationships, my today, my tomorrow in your hands. I even give you my past, not just the sinfulness, but the pain and the brokenness. I acknowledge that I've been homeless. And I want to find my home in you. I ask this all in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.